Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. With the highest inflation rate we have seen in decades, Canadians are concerned about the rising cost of living and impact on their retirements. Today's episode is part two of a look at five key risks for retirement income planning, featuring Michelle Monroe, Director of Tax and Retirement Research. Whether you are in retirement, nearing retirement, or planning for future retirement, today's episode will definitely be of interest. And for context, this episode was recorded on August 10th, and in case you missed it, part one of this topic was posted back on July 21st. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Maybe you can give a quick summary of what these five key risks to retirement income are. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. And, you know, just let's lay it up a little bit. Thinking about retirement. This is something we spend years, decades planning for. And retirement could last years, decades as well. And so there's five key risks that can happen. There are common risks that can happen while in retirement. And so we want people to be aware of them. The first one is longevity risk. And that's the risk about living your savings. The second one is inflation risk. And you know, we hear about inflation risk every day in the media and whatnot. And that's the risk that there's an increased inflation which reduces one's purchasing power. The third key risk is asset allocation risk. And that's really moving into retirement, moving into an overly conservative portfolio, really having all your eggs in one basket and lacking that diversity, which links back to longevity risk. Uh, the fourth key risk is withdrawal rate risk. A withdrawal rate is that the percentage of the assets that you withdraw from your portfolio each year too high of a percentage you risk depleting that portfolio too quickly and not having enough for your entire retirement and or on the flip side withdrawing too small too low of a percentage and then that you're not enjoying your retirement lifestyle and the fifth key risk is health care risk and that's really thinking about end of life long-term health care concerns what are some of the options? They can often be very expensive. Ensuring that you have enough in within your retirement nest egg so you have options at the end of life. Thanks for that summary, Michelle. And of course, there are five risks that you just ran through. And before we dive into detail on some of those risks, maybe we could just highlight inflation a little bit. We did talk a lot about inflation in part one of this series, but can you just quickly summarize specifically, I think, as you mentioned, Inflation's all over the news. I'm sure our audience there are reading lots of articles about its impact in many different areas of, of our lives. What is the impact on inflation to one's retirement income? Okay, so let's talk about inflation. It is, it's in the media daily. What it is, it's a long-term tendency for our money to lose its purchasing power. 
So what that means is the same amount of money buys less goods or services. As an example, last year, $100, I went to the, the gas station, filled up my car. This year, I go to the gas station, same $100, I'm only getting three quarters of a tank. I'm just talking directionally. And so what that is, is it's a directional about the consumer price index. It's a cost of goods and services, and there's about 800 in the CPI. And they go into major categories such as food, shelter, uh, housing, furnishings, equipment, healthcare, personal recreation, education, reading, the list goes on and on. Um, now in Canada, uh, it's 8.1% was the most recent uh, announcement. I think they're going to release the US rates later on this afternoon. But this is the highest that we've seen in 40 years. Um, so when that comes to retirement, it's worrisome. Your people are, it comes, well, for all of us, it's somewhat worrisome um, because we're worried about, well, how long is it going to last? The top economists, really, there's varying views, differing opinions, but what does it mean for the risk in retirement? Well, I want to bring it back to, if this, if this is the highest we've seen in 40 years, that means for the last 40 years, we've had a relatively low period of inflation. And it will come back again. The timing is uncertain. And bring it back to a little bit about timing of ones where they are in the preparation phase for retirement. So someone younger who's in the accumulation stage, well, they still may have decades where they're trying to save for their retirement. In the decumulation phase, well, they still could have decades that they're planning for their retirement. And where it comes back to is thinking about, well, where do you want to be in diversification of your investments? And thinking about maybe investing in um, inflation resilient assets, uh, such as inflation adjusted bonds or inflation linked bonds, floating rate notes, maybe commodities, gold, real estate, the list goes on and on. Thanks, Michelle. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about asset allocation in a few minutes. But I do want to kind of transition from inflation as a risk to retirement income and talk a little bit about longevity risk. How long one lives, of course, plays a part in how long one's retirement may be. Can you talk a little bit about how you know, living longer um, can affect um, one's retirement income? Uh, the risk here is that one could outlive their retirement savings. And by that, I mean, well, when we're looking at these average ages of retirement, this, these are averages. So say someone retires at age 65, they can expect to live about 20 years, but they could, this is an average, so it could be 20 years, 30 years or more. So the real key here is planning to live for a long time. And Michelle, I mentioned in my introduction that you are one of our subject matter experts on the topic of women and their finances. Women do in fact, on average, live longer than, than men. You know, why, why is that important to call out and what kind of um, considerations or questions should um, women be thinking about for their own retirement planning? If I am more likely to have to be at risk of longevity, risk of running out of my savings because I live longer. So where I'm going with this is that longevity risk is more of a risk for women than for men. And so I think the natural follow up question would be from our audience would, would be, how can Canadians address this risk? 
if you have an understanding of how long retirement in fact is and it's getting longer as we live longer, um, what can we do with our retirement plans to ensure we do have income throughout the course of our retirements? Right. And, you know, when we look at these statistics, those are statistics, they're averages, and everybody has an individual and unique situation. So the first part is just simply having an awareness of this risk, a heightened awareness on average for women. And then I want to want to understand, well, where are you in your investing lifestyle in cycle? So if you're an early investor, time is on your side. The importance of starting early a little bit from every paycheck, setting that aside for your retirement. For someone who's more established or even somebody who's in retirement, well, again, checking in, being awareness of this, thinking about this and understanding that where is your current financial picture? Where is your current health picture? Create, if you have a plan, do you need to adjust that plan? If you don't have a plan, create a plan. It really comes back to the planning. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michelle. And uh, now we talk about inflation. We've talked about longevity risk. Why don't we transition to talk a little bit more about asset allocation? And when we talk about asset allocation as a risk, um, it's really that balance of different investment types and asset classes within one's investment portfolio. And of course, everyone's financial situation is unique, just as unique as one's kind of retirement plans and vision. Can you talk a little bit more about what the asset allocation risk really is and how that balance of equities, fixed income and other asset classes in a portfolio um, can play a part in one's expected retirement income? All right. So let's think about um, thinking about assets and what is the risk and return potential? So let's start with the simplest one, cash. Well, there's little risk associated with cash and also very little to no return on that. If you just have it sitting in your wallet, it's not making any return. Well, then we move up the scale and then we have bonds. Uh, now there's some risk associated with that and you're getting some returns associated as well. And then we can move higher along the continuum and we have equities, higher risk and higher returns. And there's even within equities, we have subcategories which are riskier or less risky. Um, but when it comes to asset allocation, what we're talking about is having a diversification between these asset classes. Here, when we come to a risk, if you go too conservative, uh, no risk, no return, and you're in a period of say lower or lower interest rates and combined combining that with higher inflation, that could have a real negative impact on your portfolio because you're not getting the growth that you would want for the uh, for someone's investment horizon. And next, we're thinking about well, what about uh, on the flip side, someone who's too aggressive? Uh, so we're looking at someone who's more on that equity side, high risk high returns, there's a period of market volatility. Well, some people become reactionary to the markets and they sell at the bottom. Or perhaps someone who's in retirement and needs that cash flow or needs the cash from those investments. And again, are forced to sell at the bottom of the parquet, which is contradictory to what we wanna be doing as investors. We wanna buy low and sell high. So when it comes to asset allocation, the things we want to be thinking about, we want to think about what is the goal, what we're saving for? Is it retirement? That's the, usually the most common one. What is the time horizon associated with that? 
while you're you in the accumulation years is retirement decades away. But even someone who is in retirement, say that 65 year old with an average life expectancy for 85 or longer, well, then you're looking at decades again and just thinking about your underlying overall risk tolerance. Those are the three things we want to think about when it comes to asset allocation. And maybe, Michelle, I can I can push you a little bit on some situations. I think our audience are probably wondering, like, what does that balance look like for me? Because everyone's financial situation is unique and the balance between fixed income and equities and other asset classes is as is unique to each individual. Just, right. just looking at someone who's maybe approaching retirement and has not yet retired compared to somebody who perhaps is um, further along in their retirement, how just at a high level would their kind of balance and splits be different between say equities and fixed income between those two situations? I think that'd be helpful right. to our audience. Okay. And, um, you know, Quinn, I also want to add in one here. Like, what about somebody who's accumulating? So they're accumulating and they're going to be accumulating for decades, potentially. Uh, they would have a heavier weighting towards the equities than the bonds or fixed income. Now, your main part of your question is, well, will somebody who's just entering retirement, so that 65-year-old, again, I want to be thinking about what's our goal. Well, the goal is to manage that nest egg for their retirements, for the rest of their lives. But their time horizon is still 20, 30 years or longer, potentially. So when they're thinking about this, taking that into account, and I think back to, say, my grandmother, uh, when she retired, well, her life expectancy was maybe 10 years at the time of retirement. Um, and interest rates were really high then. They were double digits. So going into, say, Canadian savings bonds, which was you can't even buy now, but that was a good strategy for her at that time. For a 65-year-old today, that strategy is not going to work because of a long, because we're in a different economic environment as well as much longer life expectancies. Now, taking that to the final section of this question here is with somebody who's say 85, you wanna check in. And it, this is a difficult conversation, but what is your life expectancy? Of course, reading my crystal ball, nobody knows for sure, but how are you feeling? Uh, when we look at health adjusted life expectancies, an 85 year old today is much better health than an 85 year old was a decade ago. So still could have a long life expectancy. So, and adjusting accordingly. It kind of goes to show based on what you just mentioned, Michelle, that these risks all kind of interplay together. Now, as we know that Canadians are living longer, that has consequences and questions about one's asset allocation, for example. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the last uh, key risk to one's retirement income that we have not talked about yet in our two-part series here, and that is all about withdrawal rates. And Michelle, I'm sure our audience today has read headlines in the media or social media, wherever, about what that um, withdrawal rate should be on average for Canadians. And I'm wondering if you can kind of summarize what this risk um, really entails and its impact on Canadians who are close or perhaps in retirement. I think withdrawal rate is one of the more complex of the key risks. And um, I think people have heard of it, but understanding it a little bit better. And I want to take some time. What, what is withdrawal rate to start with? Well, you have your assets, 
and just ignoring if they're an RSP, a TFSA, or non-registered, you have your assets. How much is an appropriate percentage to withdraw each year? Um, you withdraw too much, we talked about this, and you risk depleting your assets too quickly and don't have enough assets for your entire retirement. Uh, withdraw too little, well, you're not really enjoying your retirement. That's what you've saved for, for all of these years. Um, so there have been a number of studies that have been done. What, what's the proper rate to use? Um, and what's been touted is uh, there's a U.S. financial advisor. I uh, looked at his name is William Benjamin. for those who want to know. And he came up with what he touted as the safe withdrawal rate. Uh, it often gets quoted in the media. And he looked at a bunch of different time periods going back to the 20s and the 30s all the way up. He did this in, in the 80s, 90s. 2000s, I believe. Okay. And he came up with a 4% withdrawal rate as the safe withdrawal rate. And what that is, it's 50, if say someone has a $500,000 portfolio, 4% is $20,000 per year uh, without fear of outliving their money. Now, Fidelity US came up and did a different study, somewhat similar, came out about three or four years ago. And it, what they came up with was a sustainable withdrawal rate and a high degree of confidence uh, that you could withdraw no more than four or 5% as a starting rate and without running out, outliving your money. Um, you know, we, we can sort of debate like this percent versus that percent, but in reality, and what I find is that people, that it's not a linear withdrawal rate, it fluctuates because life happens. Uh, particularly, my key example is early retirees. They tend to spend more in those early years because they're doing home renovations, they're traveling, than they do in some of the later years. So thinking about what is an appropriate percentage um, and to withdraw from your assets, with an eye of maintaining that nest egg for your retirements. And of course, sometimes the reason why withdrawal rates change year after year for somebody who is in retirement is the fact that the markets are no, they're not static. The markets go up and the markets go down. And maybe it would be of interest to our audience just to kind of talk about how market volatility can impact withdrawal rate levels for somebody who's in retirement. So absolutely, we're thinking about market volatility and throughout the 2022, we've certainly experienced some of that. So we want to be, the, when we're thinking about these withdrawal rates, thinking about what is the market, what's going on with the markets. Also be thinking about inflation. So they go hand in hand. Um, and as I mentioned, the studies that I mentioned, they looked at these historic markets going back 50, 75, many, many years. and. What I really want to, the message I want to drive home is that I don't want it to be feast or famine for people. When the markets are up, woo, and withdrawing more than they would nest do. Save a little bit for a rainy day. So then when the markets are down a bit, you're withdrawing with confidence. And it doesn't have to be a famine year either. And you know, this comes back to having a plan and thinking about it that you're going to revisit, review, and adjust depending on some of these external forces. And maybe I can ask you to elaborate on that because I think as we've reviewed these five pure risks, I'm sure our audience wants to know like, well, how can I address these things? And I know you typically talk really about 
focusing on one's retirement vision and the importance of having a plan. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think the, the retirement vision is something I talk about a fair bit. And I think media also does a great job of illustrating that retirement vision, but it's very myoptic. It's very, what you see in the media is that happy couple on the beach having a great time. And it is, it is that, and it's so much more. So coming back to well, what does that retirement vision look like for you? Um, Travel is the number one answer. We do it in our survey. We ask that question every year. But is it also spending time with friends and family? Also, um, volunteering. Uh, does it spend sports and fitness? Uh, people we're seeing are working part-time in retirement, especially those earlier years. So really thinking about, okay, what does, what does that retirement vision look like? And go beyond the first five years of retirement what is it going to look like 10 years, 20 years down the road and create some sort of vision? The importance of having a vision is the next piece. Once you have that vision, you can create a plan and having a particularly a written plan will help you have the discipline and the confidence to actually achieve all of those goals. And I know from our research, Michelle, that um, those who work with a financial advisor um, are more likely to have a written financial plan in the first place, looking at our retirement surveys each and every year. Is that correct? Yeah, there, the, the percentage goes way up. For those who work with a financial advisor, having a written plan and really treating it like a live living document that you're revisiting, you're tweaking, you're adjusting. And also in our research, we find those who have a written plan, well, they feel better prepared financially, which is very intuitive. But what I found really interesting is that people who have a written plan also feel better, not just financially, but also socially, physically, and emotionally. Those are four key pillars of all over well-being, just from having that written plan. And that's just really to summarize these five key risks once again. And maybe we, and you could just quickly walk our audience through um, those five key risks as we wrap up our two-part series here. Great. So let's go back to the five key risks. The first one is longevity risk. We are living in an aging society. And what that means is that the risk associated with that is that you haven't saved enough for your retirement and you risk outliving your savings. Inflation risk is the second one. We see this time and time again, it's in the media every day. And that is a reduced purchasing power and your investments and savings aren't keeping up with that purchasing power, meaning your $100 isn't going to buy as much as it would have a year ago. Asset allocation. Um, thinking back to my grandmother moving into retirement, having a shorter lifespan, looking for that super safe, conservative portfolio, that strategy isn't going to work for me. My life expectancy is much longer. Um, interest rates are much lower than they were two generations ago. Um, and also, so I need the growth that's going to come from equities. So looking for a more diversified balanced portfolio. The fourth one is withdrawal rate risk. Uh, that is the percentage that you withdraw from your retirement nest egg. Um, how much is that? We talked about that $500,000, 4% per year, 20% per year. That's just a basic, you know, that's just a general rule of thumb. Life happens, might go up, might go down, but 
thinking about that with maintaining that portfolio for your retirement lifetime. And the final one, this is a hard one to be thinking about, but such an important one is healthcare risk. End of life care options can often be expensive. And what you wanna be doing is ensuring that you've saved enough so you do have options in that period of your life. Michelle, I think we'll end it there. It's been great chatting with you in the last two parts here of our two-part series on these five key risks of retirement income. I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure our audience has as well. Thanks so much for being on the show, Michelle. My pleasure to be here. Thank you, Quinn. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.